Wednesday, and we talked about the woman. And uh, the preacher tried to stuff three things in there, and he couldn't do that. And so we've put it in our pocket, and we're here this morning because of that. So today, I'm going to try my best just to do the one. And I want you to look at verse number three. The Bible says, you remember, there were wonders that appeared. Last Sunday, there was a woman that appeared, and she was uh, pregnant with a child. Remember, we talked about that being the nation of Israel. Now look at verse number three. The Bible says, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. <laughs> like, what? And verse number four says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. It says, And did cast into the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. If you would, look at verse number seven. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and, his dra- uh, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there any place or was there place found anymore in heaven. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Pray with me. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we, we do give you glory. We do give you thanks and praise. And God, we do come asking you, Lord, for a need that we have, and that is for understanding and wisdom. Lord, for the discernment of the Holy Spirit of God to see what this scripture means and see what it teaches. Lord, there's so much that is uh, real. There's so much that are metaphors. There's so many illustrations and things that are going on in this book. And God, it's been good so far. Lord, us being at that halfway mark, a little over halfway, God, it's been so wonderful to be in the book of Revelation. Lord, to even see the times that we live in, to see these things even happening around us, knowing that you're coming and Jesus Christ, his coming is soon. Lord, we ask you that you'd please prepare our hearts. Lord, let us be ready to, first of all, hear the word today, but let us, more than that, be ready for your coming. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. We always give you praise and glory. And as all of the heavenly hosts sang, Lord, in Revelation 4 and 5, Lord, as they praised you in Revelation chapter 7 and in chapter number 11, and they continued to say to you in the name of Jesus Christ, be all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Man, you can be seated. It's good to be here this morning. We got a pretty day right now, so let's make the best of it. I hear that there's more rain that's coming, so uh, y'all be ready um, and uh, be (coughs) watching and listening out. But this morning, uh, I want to preach to you about the dragon that's in this story. Uh, The the dragon in this story is—it's just weird. It's weird to talk about that. Okay, it's kind of like if you were here on a few Sunday nights ago and I preached about the cockatrice eggs. You know what I mean? And when when the when the screen—you should have seen it when the title of the message came up and it said that on there and it had that snake. There were all the people in the church was like, "What? What is a cockatrice egg?" You know, like like Moana did. Cockle what? You know, we don't know what those things are, uh, but hopefully now that if you were here during that message, now you've probably experienced some of those eggs and uh, know what was going on. It's when someone takes a truth and uh, a lie and tries to mix it together and set on it and make it hatch, okay? Uh, some of them was talking about frogs and chickens and all this other stuff. But anyway, let, looking at the book of Revelation, uh, we try to throw that in on a Sunday night because sometimes looking at Revelation, you go, what in the world is God trying to tell us? I don't understand this. I understand, Jesus, the five loaves. I understand. Uh, the two fish. I understand all of these other things. Lord, I understand when you prayed for Peter. I understand when you, uh, you know, you healed the sick and, and, and you healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law and that the withered hand of the man was straightened out. I understand all of that stuff. But God, when we get to the book of Revelation, I do not understand a seven-headed, ten-horned dragon. I don't understand what all of that means. And a lot of times people don't understand it because you go to this big extreme. Just looking at a thermostat itself, 
there are a lot of people, especially in a church house, that would either like it 50 degrees or 90 degrees. And none of us can really agree on 68 and 70. You know, it's like either this way or that way. And even in our teachings and doctrines that people do today, they're just either way over here to the left side or way over here to the right, not only in the spiritual part of the world, but even in our just everyday living. You know, you're way over here on the left side of thinking in normal life and society, or you're way on the right side. And so we've got to understand that God puts metaphors, he puts imagery, he puts things in there, but they're also, don't take it as just, go, okay, well, that's just a, a symbol or just a metaphor itself, and it really doesn't apply to anything because the metaphor and the symbols are to describe who Satan actually is, okay? It, it just basically, if you could think of these symbols and these uh, metaphors and these illustrations, just think of them as adjectives describing who Satan or who Christ is or who the woman was. You remember last Sunday we talked about that this woman, that she was great with child, but it said that the sun clothed her, the S-U-N, right? The sun clothed her, the moon held her up, but yet she had 12 stars that was in her crown upon her head. Those are just adjectives to describe who this woman is. It was showing us Israel, showing us the nation of Israel. And also in the scripture, it said that she was great with child, but yet she was in travail and she had been in pain since the day the child was. And if you look at all of the life of Israel, look at all of their, their hardships, their hard times that the nation of Israel has gone through over and over and over, you'll see that that pain of bringing the Messiah in has been with Israel since its birth, since its uh, founding or it's calling out of all of the nations of people. And then we get into this part today and you go, all right, Brother Steve, I, I'm good with understanding who the woman is, but why does God call this, this devil, this, this one, this, this fallen angelic being, why does God call him the great red dragon? You know, And immediately when you think of that, a lot of people automatically, you go well over here to this left side, and you automatically include China into this because of their symbolism and the imagery of the great red dragon and think, okay, China's going to be the full enemy. And then they think about others going to be uh, a jihad, which is a holy war of the Islamic nation that they declare that it's what God's told them, Allah has told them to do. And they try to put it all on the them and years ago they <clears throat> tried to wrap it all up in Russia and they tried to say that it was all the Russians that were going to be coming in because of Gog and Magog at the end of the book of Revelation. But let me just set your mind at ease. It is not going to be just a simple nation that's going to do this. It is going to be all unbelieving, demonic possessed people that actually think that they can fight against God Almighty and they're going to build an army throughout all of the world of all different nations and all different people and they're going to try to come and attack God and God's people. It's not just one simple group to where we can go, okay, it's them or pinpoint it. We need to understand it's all unbelievers and those who have said God is not God and we know more than God and we are greater than God. It's going to be the followers of Satan. And so God puts it in the scripture. He tells John to write these things and what John saw, if you would, look in verse number three, the Bible says there appeared another wonder in heaven. Not only was the wonder of the woman, not wonder woman, and the wonder of the woman, it says, but there appeared another wonder in heaven. And look what it says, behold, a great and red dragon. 
Let's go through the characteristics, first of all, about him. First of all, the Bible says that he was great. Now, understanding great, it didn't mean that God was going, oh, you're so awesome. You're not that kind of great. But it was talking about how his reach and how far out that his reach is and talks about how massive that he thinks he is. Now, I want you to know something. Satan thinks more of himself and about himself than actually God thinks of him. You say, well, what do you mean? Satan is filled with pride and envy and, listen, all, all of his schemes. He is diablos, which is devil. He is diabolical, which means that he is devilish. He is Satan. He is Lucifer. He is uh, uh, Beelzebub. He is all of these things, and he has these characteristics about him, and he thinks that he's something. Even, even the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 4 that he tried to tempt Jesus. Listen to what he said. Again, the devil takes Jesus into an exceeding high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And look at what Satan said to Jesus. And he said unto him, or saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You say, well, now here's what we would think. Who gave Satan the right to even say something like that? Well, first of all, number one, he's the father of all lies, the Bible says, okay? But second of all, he does have a little bit of accuracy in what he is tempting Jesus with. When he comes to Jesus, he comes to him exactly like he comes to you and I, with portions of Scripture, portions of truth, but yet they're only half-truths. Okay, the rest of it is just, uh, it's filled with poison, it's filled with lies, but yet he comes with a small truth to do what? Why would someone come to you with just a small ounce of truth in order to bring you over into an unbelieving thought? Why? Because if they give you a little bit of truth, then you think that all of it is truth, right? Right? Absolutely. That, that's like uh, building a cake, you know what, and say, hey, we're gonna have a, <clears throat> I'm going to make a sponge cake, all right? And you make it look beautiful, and you go out there and you get you a sponge, and you cut it and make it look like a cake, and you ice that thing, and you put cherries on top of it and all that. When you cut into it, it's still just a regular old sponge, okay? It's not a good cake, but yet it appears that way, and you'll go over there and go, man, that's beautiful, and cut into it, and it's not going to end well. Okay, it's not going to taste good. It's not going to be good. Why? Because it presented itself as something that it wasn't. Satan does that to Jesus. And he says, listen, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms. Look at what it says. He said, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of all of them. Thinking because Jesus has been in the wilderness 40 days. And I want you to understand something. You know what Matthew says about this account? It says that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit of God. And when you think about that, what it was, was he was being tried by the Spirit. That's what makes the Hebrew words in Hebrews chapter 4, that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like you and I. He understands everything. You know why? Because he was also tempted by the devil. And so while he was, what, drawing from the Holy Spirit of God and trying to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit of God in his flesh, what happened? Satan came at that moment. See, most everybody thinks that Satan is going to come to you when you're at your lowest point. But that's not always when he comes to you. Sometimes he comes to you when you're in your prayer time with God, when you're in the Word with God, and you're studying the Word of God. And all of a sudden, he comes to you with a thought, boom, runs over you like a truck. And you go, what in the world? Where did that come from? You just need to mark it up and say, that is nothing but the devil. Get behind me, Satan, and leave me alone. Amen? But it says that he said, I'll give you all of these things if you'll do what? If you'll bow down, fall down, and you'll worship me. And you know what Jesus answered him with? The word of God. And he says, the Bible says that you should only worship the Lord thy God. You should only serve him. Amen? And so Satan, thinking that he's great, he does have a vast kingdom. 
But listen to me. He has no throne. We never read about Satan sitting on the throne from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. He has no throne. He has nowhere. But what do they do? They give him an earthly seat. You remember what the Bible says in the church there at Thyatira and the church at Sardis? He says, I know Satan's seat because what it was is that they were giving him position in, his li- in their life, but he has no throne, and he wanders to and fro up and down the earth seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that he came looking for Jesus. Look at the next description, and don't let it throw you off, but it says it was a great red dragon. The red part in there, in that description, well, what was the Lord trying to teach us? He was trying to teach you of his character. That fiery red, that anger, that, that bursting out just explosion of evil is who he is. Now, we look at it and we go, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that he's subtle, the serpent was subtle, uh, subtle in, the, in the Garden of Eden. We look at him as sneaky and conniving, and he's coming in and he twists the scripture. But the Bible says in verse number 3 of Revelation, he is the great red dragon. Talking about the red means what? says that he is evil. There is no good about this person. There is no good about Satan at all. And the Bible says in John chapter 8 and verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus described Satan to all of those Pharisees that day. And you wonder why they were ready to kill him? Because he looked at them and said, you're acting just like your daddy. That's exactly, he said, you're of your father the devil. And he was a liar from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is the one that whispered into the ear of Cain to kill his brother. He's the one that whispered into the ear of Eve to eat and disobey God. They could have eaten of all of the trees of the Garden of Eden, but God said, do not eat of this one. And some of us today, even in the Christian world, have thought, well, how bad of God to do something like that? Why would God put in the middle of the Garden of Eden a tree that they could not eat of? Why didn't God just say, all right, you can do whatever you want? because God is a God of order. I heard Tony Evans explaining it, I think last week or the week before. He said the reason God put the tree in the Garden of Eden was to say, this ain't your house, it's mine. And I liked that. I waited, Brother Reggie, for a Tony Evans quote on that video. (laughs) But he said, listen, all you're doing is leasing it and I'm giving you owner's rights and you can live here, but this house belongs to me. See, God established order when he put the tree there. But Satan found his way into that tree. Why? He was hanging out in that tree instead of the others because there was no temptation there, but he found his way in there because of the disobedience. I've had people in America, I've had people in Belize, Belizean pastors that have asked me, said, Brother Steve, do you think it was an apple? And I looked at him and I told him, I said, no, it was in a mango. And they all went, What? Because they all were like, they've lived on mangoes their whole life. And believe me, I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. And no, it wasn't a mango. They were worried. They were about to uh, lose their salvation. Uh, But I said, no, no, no. I said, it's not about the fruit. If it was an apple, all of us are guilty. You've already signed the agreements with the apple contract, right? You didn't even read it either. But anyway, if it was an it's not an apple. It was about the disobedience. They disobeyed God. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a grapefruit. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a vineyard. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a small seed or a plum or, or anything. It was the disobedience that brought sin into this world. The Bible says that Satan is a murderer and he is a liar. 
and why you would want to allow Satan to whisper and you to do the things that he's asking or leading you to do is beyond me because he's a liar and a murderer. The Bible says that he is the great red what? Dragon, verse 3 said. Great red dragon. Why dragon? This word was translated swiftly into the Hebrew. It was like a crocodile. And it was an understanding kind of like in the Pharaohs, in the days of the Pharaoh and, and the rivers and the other things that they would actually throw their babies out uh, because of the commandment of Pharaoh out into the Nile River, out and put them out there because of the crocodile or the dragons would get them and that they would devour them and eat them. And so he is one that is pictured not just as that fiery red, just immediate explosion, but he's vicious. He's vicious. He tears things apart limb by limb by limb. The Bible says in verse number four, it says, and his tail drew the third part, or excuse me, verse number three, the end of verse three, it says, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And you look at that and you go, what are you talking about? What does that mean, God? What it's talking about is having seven heads and ten horns. It talks about that the kingdom of Satan and his, his methodology or his, his plan against you and I, okay, it's complete. And it means that when it talks about horns, it talks about that it has power. And what the word or the number 10 means is that it is a complete power, a completed power. Satan has a plan, but his plan is only this, and that is to just destroy you. You know what Satan's plan actually is, Brother Jack? Jesus told us to come and he was to seek and steal and to kill and destroy. He was going to do all of those things. The thief cometh not but to do those things. And here's Satan's plan. He's ready, and this is what he wants to do. When it talks about having those seven heads, it's talking about leadership that he gathers together. He's talking about him, the Antichrist, the false prophet. As we get into the book of Revelation, he has a teamwork of people that have a powerful and a completed plan to go against the work of God. So Satan is not coming up to you just kind of with half knowledge and just kind of just hit or miss and go, well, I'll try this or I'll try that. No, he has a plan. You know what his plan was? You remember last Sunday? The Bible says that there's that woman that stands clothed with the sun, upheld by the moon, 12 stars in the crown of her that's upon her head, but she is great with child. The Bible says that his plan is, is that he is standing before her and he is ready to devour the child as soon as it is born. He has a perfect plan. And what it is is that he wants to stop everything that God wants to do. And I'm here to tell you this morning that he can't stop it. I want you to look down with me at verse number 7 before we go on and read with me to verse 9. It says, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Now look at these last descriptions of Satan. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. Look at it. It says, That old serpent called the devil and Satan. Look at the first characteristic, it says old, okay? When he's talking about old, old is not evil, right? We all get old. But the reason that we do get old and we pass away is because of sin, right? Amen? The Bible says that when it says that old serpent, you know what God is doing? He's bringing us all the way back. We're in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, Brother Carl. When he says that old serpent, he is taking us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Chapter number three, where Satan appeared on the scene. 
He was not in one and two. He appeared in three and found himself in that tree as he was speaking, right? And he was trying to deceive the woman. God now has taken this whole Bible, not us, but God has taken this whole Bible and has sewn this thread from Revelation all the way back to Genesis, which means we have a wonderfully complete and truthful account of God's Word. And here's we have this. Even some people say, well, Brother Steve, we don't have those 15 other books of the Apocrypha. Why don't we have those in our Bible? Why don't we have them in the modern translations today? Because they were historical books. And even Jesus Christ himself never recognized the Apocrypha, the book of the Maccabees, the book of Judith, as anything that was inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. Because he said that they have, what did he tell? He said they have the law and the prophets, Right? Even when that man, rich man, was in hell and Lazarus was comforted in the bosom of Abraham, he said they have Moses and the prophets, talking about the law of God and the prophets. Let them hear them, hear what they say. And he says, but if one went from the dead, my brothers would be persuaded. And he said, I'm telling you, though even one went from the dead, they would still not be persuaded. They have enough of the word of God. We don't need to add any other things to it. We need just the inspired by the Holy Spirit of God books that were inspired by God breathed into men, and they wrote those things down as God told them. The Bible says that. That's why they're not there. But this book is sewn together. He says that old serpent took them all the way back. Look at the second thing that you'll see right here. He says the devil. You know what the word devil means? It is diablos. It means one that is a slanderer. It means one that is a slanderer. Diablos, devil, means that he slanders you. Have you ever heard the old expression, you know, drug their name through the mud? Talking about how they drug, that's exactly what Satan does to you. Today, did you know you have an enemy, a slanderer that is constantly, always, constantly bringing up everything that you do wrong? And it's not your husband or your wife. <laughs> okay? It's not your kids. But you have a slanderer that whenever you think anything blessed about your life, the slanderer comes in and tries to bring you down and to make you feel as he feels. So the reason is because is he doesn't want to go out alone. And church, he slanders the names of the brothers and the sisters that are in Christ. He is constantly trying to go against them and bring accusation against them. Oh, yeah, you think, oh, so-and-so is a good Christian, and you think that they're the best person in the whole world, and they follow you and all that. Listen, he did it with Job. He said, I tell you what, God, he said, yes, Job follows you now, but you let me touch his family. You let me inflict pain upon him, and I promise you he'll curse your name because he's a slanderer. Right? Job did not do that. He stayed faithful to God. And he said, all right, God. He said, yes, he's going to do that, but you let me touch Job. You let me get him and inflict him with pain. And the Bible says that boils came upon Job to where he went out, and he cut them off, and he sat in sackcloth and ashes, and he was grieving, and he was mourning because of the loss of his family, and he was grieving because of the condition he was in, but he never charged God and blamed God foolishly at all. And Satan lost that battle, Amen. But Satan constantly wants to do that to you and to do that to me. Why? Because he's the devil. <clears throat> he's the devil. So if you're out here slandering other people's names and they look at you and go, you're like the devil. You just go, you're right. Because that's what you're being. You're acting like the devil. And you don't want to do that. Look at the last thing he says. Not only is he the old serpent and the devil, called the devil, but he's also called Satan. You know what the word Satan means? It's adversary. 
an adversary. It means one that's standing in the way. One that's standing in the way against you. He is an adversary. He is someone that wants to take your life. Now, some of you are under this impression that, okay, Brother Steve, I, I, I gave my life to Christ. And I got saved, so the devil has to leave me alone. <laughs> I don't know who the preacher was that told you that lie, but it wasn't me. Because Satan is not going to leave you alone. No, he is going to come against you. He is going to slander you. He is going to be your ad- adversary. He is going to bring adversity against you and try to do what? Try to stop you. Some people think, well, brother, see, when I got saved, that everything would have just stopped and all of that. No, I know Satan can't get your soul. Satan can't get your life anymore. And we ought to thank God for that because why? We're in the hands of Jesus and he's in the Father's hands. And if nobody, even Satan himself, can't get Jesus out of the Father's hands, we're pretty secure. We're pretty wrapped up safe inside that, amen? Listen, but Satan is constantly coming against you. Why? To get your voice, to get your testimony, to get your praise, to get your joy, to get your peace, to try to rob you of all those things, to try to rob you of rest, to try to rob you of comfort, and he's coming against you. Why? Because if he can get you to be quiet and you to be quiet and not say anything about Christ, then no other people would come to this Christ. No other people would come to the Lord. If he could shut you up and live, make you live a life of misery all the way up until the day that he calls you home, listen, then he is trying his best to be an adversary. The Bible says in chapter, or Luke chapter 22 that he tried to do it to Satan. It says in the Lord, or to Peter, he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, He said, Behold, the devil has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Why don't you look at that scripture with me this morning and kind of hang out just for a moment. He said, Simon, Simon. And I don't know if your mom or your dad ever called you twice uh, or spoke your name twice or used a middle name. But I want you to notice something right here is that Simon Peter has already been declared that his name would no longer be that, but he would be called Cephas, that he would be called Peter. And because why? He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? You remember the story about Jesus and, and Peter? And, and remember, they, he said, who do men say that I am? And some people say, well, you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist, you know, back. And all this time, he said, but who do you say I am? But remember what Peter said. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? And Jesus said, ding, 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 you're right right? He said, flesh and blood didn't tell you that and show you that. He said, but my father, which is in heaven. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my, remember the gates of hell shall come in. And what he was talking about, the kingdom of Satan will not be able to stand against God's people. Amen. He's going to try, but he won't be able to be successful. And look at this. He brings him back. Jesus always brings us back. You know, I can walk through grocery stores sometimes, and I can even go to a pastor, a friend of mine, he pastors Liberty Baptist Church, and every time I see him, I hear him go, taco, and I go, because immediately that word takes me back. It takes me backwards in my thought process and go, the person that just called my name does not know who I am anymore. They do not know what Christ has done in me, and that's why they're calling me by that stupid name, Taco, and they don't know me as Steve or just brother anymore, you know. So I automatically go backwards in that. Anybody else have a nickname, goofy nickname, right? And, 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 <laughs> and you try to live it down, and you can't live it down. Jesus brings Simon back to this place, and he says, Simon, Simon. You know what I believe he's doing, Brother David? He's bringing Peter back to the place where God found him. I believe that Jesus is bringing Peter back to the place where Jesus found him there as a fisherman. But yet now he told him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he looked at him and he said, Simon, Simon. Not Peter the rock. 
Cephas, the rock, but Simon, the son of Jonas. Look, look at me. The devil has desired to have you. That he may sift you like wheat. And what he's wanting to do is, is sift you as wheat, is that they would break that, they would throw the wheat on the ground and they would take a donkey and they would take a wooden sled and they would take that sled and even a little Israeli child would ride on that sled and they would go around and around on top of that hay or on that wheat, excuse me, not hay, but the wheat. And it, what it would do, it would break it up. And all of a sudden that chaffed, would be separated from the good seed, and that thing would just kind of grind it up. And all of a sudden, they'd take a winning fork, okay? And they would throw that up in the air, and when the wind would blow, they would do it at the top of the hills and stuff, and on top of mountains. And the wind would blow. The chaff, because it was light, and it was the shell, would be blowed away, but the good seed would fall down, and they would, they would gather it up. And Jesus says, Simon, the devil wants to sift you out like that in order to really show everybody who you are. But listen to what Jesus says. You ought to be thankful for this scripture. He says, but I have prayed for you. The Son of God says, but I have prayed for you. You know what he's saying in that moment? It's not just simply, I have prayed for you, like we do today. I'm praying for you, bro. No, no, no. Jesus says, Simon, the devil wants to sift you out in order to expose who you are to everyone in order to get down to the root of who you are. But I have talked to my Father on your behalf. That's what it says when he said, I pray. He said, I have come before the throne of my Father and I have presented your name and I have presented your case and I have told him all things about how the devil wants you. He said, I've prayed for you. And he says, what I have prayed to my Father, I can see Jesus saying, Father, please help Simon. Lord, during this trying time, this time where Satan wants to sift him, please, Lord, strengthen his faith. Lord, let his faith be established. Give him the strength, the same strength that I had when I was in the wilderness and Satan came and tried to attack me. Father, please give Peter that same kind of faith and assurance. He said, I prayed that your faith fell not when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. He was saying, listen, when you go through all this, when you go through this and you're actually brought out, listen, strengthen the brethren, they're going to need you. Why? Because they're going to go through that. And you're going to have to take their name before the throne of God. And you're going to have to take my name before the throne of God. And I've got to take your name before the throne of God. But no other person could be greater than Jesus taking our name before the Lord. But that's not what Satan does. Now see, Satan comes against you and slanders your name. Satan comes against you and does what? He's an adversary. He's trying to stand in the way between you and God. He's the adversary. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's what he does here. You don't know it. The Holy Spirit is with us this morning. But you don't understand that even the demons and devils of hell, Satan himself, could be among all of us today. Now, before you look around and try to figure out who it is, no, no, no. You remember, he's that angelic being. He's a demon, and he is trying to do what? He's trying to draw you away from the message. He's trying to draw your thoughts away from the message. That's why God's Word tells us to take every thought into captivity. In other words, to let God capture and rapture our thoughts. And God, when you're speaking the Word through the pastor and the Word of God, Lord, let my mind be focused on you and not on Cracker Barrel. Right? Not on everything else. Capture it all because Satan wants to constantly, every time you hear a good seed, he wants to come along and pull it out. Amen? He's walking around seeking whom he may devour. 
He's looking for those who are broken. He's looking for those who are built up with pride. Listen, we talked about this devil and the description of this dragon itself. But the second thing is this under the message, the downfall of this dragon. Look at verse number four with me. The Bible says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. The Bible says that he drew out the third part of the stars of heaven. We understand that the word stars there is anglios, and it means, uh, or eglios, and it means uh, an angel, but it also means a messenger. And it could mean it sometimes talking about a pastor. It could mean it talking about Jesus. It could mean it talking about the angels, Michael, or anything. But the Bible says that Satan, when he fell from his position in heaven that God gave him, which Lucifer was to illuminate the throne of God, to shine light. It even says that morning star, how quickly you were falling, right? Whenever all of this happened, the Bible says that his tail drew the third part of the stars. And when you look at mythology and you look at dragons and you look at crocodiles and you look at all the things that we understand that word dragon to mean, even in the Hebrew, you understand that that crocodile's tail or that dragon's tail was a main part of doing what? To get its prey and to capture it, to trip it up. They grab you, they roll, they do all this stuff. Satan, when he fell, he was not satisfied with it just being him. But he also, it says, drew. And when it talks about that he drew them out, that it was the same word that he tempted Eve with sin and drew them away. The Bible says a third of the angels. When you ever hear the old preachers and uh, preachers like me say that the third of the angels of heaven also fell and that they were today, that they are demons and stuff. I want you to understand something. They're not the Hollywood imagery in the picture talking about with uh, Nicolas Cage and all them and the fallen angels and all that, and they came to have an affair with earthly women and stuff like that. Let me tell you something. Understand that they're demonic, and they came to not steal bodies. They came to steal souls, okay? And this is what happened. The third of them were drew out. The Bible says that the downfall of this guy was very clear. We talked about it. Isaiah chapter 14 talks about it. Listen to what it says, verse 12. It says, how, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? The Bible says that this devil had fallen down, even to the fact, do you remember, I think it was in Revelation chapter number 9, maybe. Um, no, it was chapter number 5, I think, that was talking about how that Satan fell as a star falling, burning, coming down unto this earth. The Bible says that Jesus told them in the Gospels, he says that he beheld Satan, Lucifer, falling to the earth. What it meant was, it was this thing that we're fixing to talk about, and then we'll go home, talking about a war that had happened. A war in heaven that took place. I want you to look at the disposition of the dragon. This will close with this. Look at verse number four. The Bible says in verse number four at this disposition, it says that his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now look at these words. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now I'm not here today to preach on the sanctity of life. We ought to understand as Christians what the sanctity of life is. We ought to understand that life is precious, life is valued, and even within the womb, they are wonderfully and beautifully and fearfully created by God. I'd never thought in my whole life that we would ever have to argue this issue in the house of God. Outside, maybe. Inside, we shouldn't be able to argue this. It should be something that we go, that's God's precious life, God's precious seed. And I want you to look at this scripture and understand that if Satan was ready before Israel, before they even delivered that Messiah, that there must be something important going on within the womb. And what I mean by this, if I could take a time out this morning to just really, really shortly tell you that there must be something going on within a womb of a woman 
in order for many people to just want to get rid of it. And Satan wants us to throw them away and to give them into the hands of the God of Moloch and the God of convenience and to do all that. You never know what that child could be. You never know that that child could be a great evangelist. That child could be a great missionary. That child could be a great doctor, a great scholar, a great teacher. That child could be the greatest person that would be able to help. And here we are. What do we do? Get rid of them and throw them away. Satan's disposition is this. The woman is there. You remember, listen, stay with me. She's there clothed with the sun, upheld by the moon, the 12 stars in her crown, talking about the glory of God, shining and holding in all of Israel. But she is great with child, okay? Now, listen, if y'all don't believe me or not, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, especially any women in here, and if any women in here are pregnant at all, please do not take this comment to be any kind of derogatory or down at all. But great with child is not that okay and i'm not going to do the demonstration of the other i got to keep my shirt tucked in but great with child means out there okay you ever see a woman that's been pregnant about eight months in july they're down at panama city or at the gulf shores you know the husband said hey let's go do some deep sea fishing you know what i mean and she said yes because she loves you but intentionally she's going to push you off the boat when you get out there Huh? Great with child is like, and in pain. The Bible says she was in pain. But the devil's disposition is he is standing there. Church, look at this. Look at the imagery of this. He is standing there ready to devour the child as soon as it is born. Ready as though it is a serpent ready to strike the child as soon as the child is birthed. You know, your word there in the Bible says right here that stood before the woman. Actually, the word is in the Greek is called histami, and it actually means it's in a perfect tense of the word, and it means standing before. It means that he didn't just stand there for a little bit, stood there for a little time, and then went away, and then come back and stood there for a little bit more and went away, and stood there. No, it means constantly and presently standing before the woman, ready. Not ready to receive the child, but the words, look at it, to devour. To devour the child. And look, if any of us could take our minds and go all the way thousands of years ago to Egypt, we made bricks out of straw and out of mud. We actually, uh, because of this emancipator that was going to come in by the name of Moses, now we all have to go out and to find our own straw and our own mud in order to make the bricks. And now the workload on us is twice as hard as it's ever been. Our friends and our family are being beaten. We're in slavery. And then all of a sudden, the Pharaoh of all of them says, you know what? These Israelites are becoming too large. They're becoming too big. And one day they may overtake us. I pass a decree that every male child, every firstborn, that they would all be killed, they would be slaughtered. And you got to think about what? About the, the screams of a woman, the, the cries of a mother in the middle of the night warning their child. You know what it was? It wasn't let's stop them and let's give them some uh, anti-pregnancy medication. No, it was evil. And it was the devil sitting there waiting for these women, Sister Darla, to deliver their children 
and take them out and to kill them. Man, who would be so evil? Who would be so vicious? Satan. And the whole imagery was this. He was willing to kill all of them, Brother Bo, in order to make sure that one that was the Messiah would not come through. He was willing to get rid of all of them. Not only did it happen once, but it even happened another time by the, na- by the man by the name of King Herod. Jesus, during the days that he was born, the same decree from Satan was passed. Are you with me? I want you to understand this, this person of who Satan is, this dragon and who he is. He is standing there waiting to devour. And church today, his disposition, you know what he's doing? He is standing there still ready to devour you and ready to devour me. The dragon is constantly coming against us. The devil does not love you. He hates you. He despises you. You disgust him and you make him sick at his stomach to the point because you now hold the position of giving glory and honor unto God that he once held in his time and he has fallen from that. Not only has he fallen from top, but he has gone all the way to the bottom. The Bible explains it very clearly. Listen, I'm not going to go, Brother Britt, to Genesis 3, but if you would, church, look at your Bible before we close. Brandon, y'all go ahead and come on. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the devil or the dragon, and his angels also fought. It says, and they prevailed not, neither was there any place, or neither was there place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. Look at these words. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I want you to understand that Satan's no different, and he wants to destroy you. Even if you're a child of God today, his desire is to destroy you. His desire is to see you fail. He wants you to be ruined He wants to bring you and everyone around you into ruin. But listen, he made that same war in heaven. He wanted, he wanted, Brother West, to be higher than God. And so he fought and drew others to come to his aid and to his side and to his belief. And he fought against God. He fought against God's angels, Michael and all the other angels. You know what the word Michael means? It means to be one after God. Talking about to be as him, to be one. And he fought against all of those angels in heaven. And the Bible says this, listen to me. He lost. Insert amen here. He lost. He did not win. The Bible says in verse 7, 8, and 9 that he went and made war against them but prevailed not. That means he lost. In our understanding of country terminology, he got whooped. Amen. He did not win. Look at what it says. He prevailed not. And I love it in verse number 8. It says, and there was no more place for him anymore. He was cast out of heaven. And listen, he said, go Amen? Listen, God said, it's done. You lost. Get out of here. And he cast him out of heaven. The Bible says, and Jesus said, and I beheld Satan falling as lightning from heaven. It happened like that. Amen? Brother Jerome, he even tells us to one of those churches in Revelation that Satan fell that morning star, that he fell all the way to the earth. The Bible says that God said in the very beginning of our book, in Genesis chapter number 3, he said that he went all the way down to the earth, and he says that he deceived Eve, and then even God gave another judgment on top of him. He said, not only have you been crawling around 
around and doing all this, but you're going to be lower than the dust of the earth. Amen? He said, you'll never have a throne. You'll never be lifted up. You'll never be exalted, Satan, because you have lost. And the Bible says in verse number 9, he was cast out into the earth, and the angels or the demons were cast out with him. Listen, where he is trying to deceive us. But do you remember I told you we are living from what? Victory. We are fighting from victory. We're not trying to attain salvation. We obtain salvation now in Jesus Christ. We're fighting and living from the victory that was there at the cross of Calvary. Not only at the cross of Calvary, but if you'll hang with me for a minute, the Bible says that Jesus, when he was crucified, that he went into the lowest parts of the earth, that he went down to the bottom. But yet he delivered all those that were held captive in Hades or in Shell, the grave. He delivered them out, amen, and brought them out. And the Bible says that whenever he was resurrected, listen, or when he was crucified, it said that tombs were opened up and the saints of God were walking around. How about that if he had a doorbell back then and the doorbell rang and Grandma was at the door? Huh? Where you been, Grandma? You know, we buried you like 14 years ago. Some of you are going, oh, it's never going to happen. Someday you may be left here, but you can go check my grave out wherever it may be and you'll see an empty place. It'll be gone. It'll be gone. You, you can look over there and go, well, he ain't there because I won't be there. You know why? Because I'm living from victory. The victory that we have in Jesus from the cross was the penalty and the payment for our sins. But if it were not for him coming out of the grave, oh, we got victory over death. We have victory over all of that. We'll come up, amen. Up, up, up. We'll go up. We'll be with him forever and forever. But on the flip side, Satan is not playing from victory, brother, because he already got whooped. How many in here played sports before? You ever got whooped? No, 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 I ain't talking about get beat. I'm talking about you just got whooped. You know what I mean? We went one and nine my my, uh, junior or sophomore year of high school football. Oh, it was horrible. Worst thing could ever. I mean, it was just like there were days you'd go out there and, oh, my goodness. There was no camaraderie. There was no, hey, we can do this. It was just like, let's get it over with. It was bad. It was like everybody and their brother was whooping us. But that was the attitude of all the people because we didn't know the victory that we could have. And that changed throughout years. And, man, it was awesome how the change happened. But I, I'm talking about there's days you just grew up. One time we were playing church basketball. I'll share this story. One time we were playing church basketball, and we're getting thumped by 30. There's a reason. I'm not going to show you because I have to keep my shirt tucked in. But we were getting beat. Andrew Johnson, fourth period of the game. Andrew Johnson's dribbling down the court. We're just thumped, and we're just like, oh, please call the game for mercy, you know. Andrew Johnson hits a buzzer beater three-pointer. Rings the thing and's running around going, whoa! And I said, sit down, dummy. We just got killed. You didn't see that shot? And I was like, we just got destroyed, man. You're running around. We, we got beat by 27. You know, I was talking to my wife on the way to church this morning. I said, you ever been that guy, that, that player, or that person, you know, because she played basketball, she played softball, she was the athletic person, and she played all the time. And I said, you ever, you know, played basketball before, and, and you get to that point where you got four fouls, and you know you got one more? She said, oh, yes, I have. I want you to know, I'm going to the great red dragon about Patty. She said, that's when I knew I got one more, and I ain't going out easy. 
I'm going to let them know it was my last one. And I was driving down the road, and I went, well, I'll be. I was thinking, how many fouls do I or she got against me? Amen. You know what I mean? And, I, and my mind started going to even people that I've seen play. They got one foul left, and they're not going to let somebody dunk on them, so they go and take their legs out and show a big show. You know what I mean? I was trying to look around, but... <laughs> but it's true. Why? Why do you do that? Because you know you're already whooped, and you know you're defeated, and you get that devilish mindset. That's the way the devil is. Don't you think sometimes, Brother Adam, why doesn't the devil just roll over and just leave us alone and die? Mm-mm. No, he's the player. He knows you got four fouls. He's the player that knows he's already lost the game. And so he's going to cheat. He's going to bite. He's going to poke. He is going to do everything and claw to do what? I've only got one shot. And I'm taking as many with me as I can. That's the mentality of the devil. But Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible tells us we play from victory. Satan plays from defeat. And he's not giving up. He's coming against you. I want to prepare you today. I want to prepare you today. You may say, Brother Steve, I'm not going through anything. And that's great. And you ought to thank God for that. But tomorrow the enemy may wake you up and slap you right in the face in the morning prayer time. And you go, what in the world is going on? And you, if you're unprepared for it, you will think that God for some reason doesn't love you anymore. And that he is against you and that all this stuff's going on. But if you know that it's Satan coming against you and trying to bring you down and that you live from victory, then all of a sudden something starts bubbling up inside of you. Something starts happening inside of you and getting stirred up and you begin to go, you know what? I haven't lost anything because I, I, the, the war has already been won in heaven, amen? And there's a war on earth, but it's already been won at Calvary and at, at Gordon's Hill and at the tomb, amen? We're just waiting for him to come back and to receive us, amen? We're just waiting for what? The crowning day. We're waiting for the trophy to be exhibited or to be presented to us, amen? Doesn't that excite you at least just a little bit to the point where you go, you know what? I'm going to stop living my life like Satan is defeating me all the time. I'm going to stop coming into church and coming into work. And when someone says, how are you doing? You go, well, I just, I tell you, the devil's just been all over me all week. Well, he couldn't have been all over you because he was all over me. And he can't be in all places all the time. Huh? What we need to do is figure this out. Let's not piptoe around the subject. You say, what would you say, Brother Steve? I said it right. Let's not piptoe around the subject. What are you trying to talk about? Pepto-Bismol? Nope. You remember in Revelation chapter 9, verse number 1, and I'm closing. The Bible says that Jesus beheld Satan. It says he was fallen. That Greek word is pipto. That means he has fallen. That means, Brother Adam, he will never be able to rise up to the throne of God ever again. No, no, no. Let's not piptoe around it. Let's just say, let's put him where he is. And let's say, you can come at me like a roaring lion and try to devour me, but my father... My Father's Son, my Father's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, has pulled all your teeth out, and you can gum on my legs all you want to, but you can't have me because I belong to God. Amen? Yes, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give you this time. God, I pray that you help somebody with